This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi all, and thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Open House. We're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that you can truly experience life advancement without having to spend thousands of pounds on one-on-one therapy. We believe that happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. If you love this episode today, please do share on social media and tag us at Open House Life as well as tagging Dr. Tari and I. Stay tuned as well at the end of the episode where you can get your hands on a discounted relationship reading with Dr. Tari by being an open house listener. Now, into the episode, and it's a juicy one. Hi everyone, and welcome back to another Open Heart episode of the Open House podcast. I've got the wonderful Dr. Terry with me, and we are so excited to do today's episode. If you haven't already listened to last week's episode, it's a great one to check out. We discussed all things Cardi B and offset and cheating. Why do people do it? What are the red flags? And what else you should know about cheating? If you do want to get access to that, head over to Apple and Spotify so you can listen. But today, we are not just discussing infidelity and cheating, we are discussing all things bad behaviour. We are discussing toxic relationships, repeating conflict cycles, as well as cheating and unconscious attraction. Why do we keep choosing people that end up treating us badly? Why do we stay with people who cheat on us or treat us badly? Does it ever really work out like this? We're going to look at Khloe Kardashian and Tristan Thompson, as well as a brief insight into Kylie Jenner and Travis Scott. We're also going to wrap up the episode with Dr. Terry's top 10 suggestions and things that have to be worked on if a relationship can ever recover from infidelity. So welcome back. Thanks. So happy to be here. It's a big one. Yes, it is. It is a big one. And we had a lot of excitement uh, off camera on this because we just kept going deeper and deeper into all of these, all of these things. And I think that we agreed we were going to start with a little bit of my own kind of input on my own personal experience before we move into what actually is unconscious attraction. And I think that from my side, I have never been in a situation where I have actively taken, in fact, I don't actually think I've been cheated on. You know, I actually think I probably have, because I think that a lot of people, particularly uh, at university, at college, with drinking culture, boys' toys, lads on tour, that kind of atmosphere, I think often a lot of this does happen, you don't realise it. But don't think that I have, and I definitely haven't knowingly, you know, known about this and taken someone back. But I definitely have tolerated some quite bad behaviour. The main situation is with a man that I spent uh, a good number of years with, I'd say three or four. And during that time, I just tolerated so much bad behaviour, you know, a bad temper, bad drinking cycles, abusive arguments, and yeah, I'm looking forward to us going a little bit deeper into that as well. So I think that I just wanted to bring to this episode a bit of compassion that if anything in this episode you have gone through, you are not alone. Someone last week messaged me saying they couldn't believe what they had gone through in their recent relationship. And once she opened up to me, I was able to say, Han, I've gone through exactly the same thing. So I think Dr. Terry and I are both just so passionate about having this open space, no judgment, no fear, where we can dig down into these things and you can know that you are not alone. Absolutely. I mean, the things that we talk about are pretty universal and we want to help everybody understand why they find themselves in these situations and give them the awareness and tools to create different situations, right? You're so right. And I think that brings us to unconscious attraction, which is one of the the most valuable things that I believe that I've learned from you. I learn, I learn from you every single time we speak, but the unconscious attraction piece is incredible because I think once you understand it, everything 
the light bulbs just start to go off everywhere. So I'd love it if we could start this episode by you just giving a bit of a rundown on what unconscious attraction is and uh, what are the two types that show up in day-to-day life? Yeah. So unconscious attraction. So I'm a clinical psychologist and, you know, in my work, I've seen unconscious attraction and how it really dictates the kind of partners that we choose. And oftentimes we end up choosing the same types of partners over and over again and creating the same relationship with them until we become aware, until we become conscious of what our patterns are, we can't change them. So unconscious attraction, there are two types. And the first type says that we are attracted to people who reinforce how we feel about ourselves. So basically that means that the level of love that we have for ourselves will dictate what we're ready for and what we can receive from somebody else. So if we don't yet know our own self-worth, if we don't feel completely and totally worthy, if we haven't done that work to know that we are deserving of healthy, big love, then we not only will settle for less than that, we will be attracted to less than that. We will be attracted to and feel chemistry for partners who do not treat us with love and kindness all the time, who don't treat us as a priority because that will feel familiar. That matches how we feel about ourselves at an unconscious level. I mean, already I'm like, wow, because, you know, I have for so long gone for the unavailable man and it isn't even that I did it unwillingly. It was almost like I got off on the, on the chase and the feeling of, I just need to get him to love me and to like me. And then when I did, and when I made him fall in love with me, it was just like, oh yeah, you know, almost proving or disproving these things that I believed about myself. So already what you're saying is just like all these light bulbs are going off for me. Yeah. And that does relate to this first kind that I'm talking about because I think it are attracted to partners and we choose partners who help us recreate our childhood roles and templates. So what does that mean? My guest, Louise, I don't know. I don't know everything about your history and your family. I know bits and pieces, but because you were attracted to unavailable men, emotionally unavailable men, my guess would be that your father was in some ways emotionally unavailable. And so that was your template for love, that Mm -hmm. love with a man. And it could also be, it could have been your mom that was emotionally unavailable. It doesn't have to be, you know, the dad or the mom, it could be either one, but love meant that you had to work. You, you know, your role was to get into someone's mind and heart and that's what love was. And so you kept recreating that template. You would choose men who put you in that same role because that felt familiar and that felt like love right? Yeah, you're so right. There was definitely some emotional unavailability. And I think it's really interesting what you were just saying there. It's just come to me that for a lot of my relationships, the past ones, it was like, they were almost like projects. It was like, I would find this man, he was really emotionally unavailable and and I would make him fall in love with me and I would make him bring all his barriers down and he would fall madly in love with me. And then we would be happy. But the amount of time it took to get to that is is insane and I know that you mentioned off camera that there was some element of potentially in your childhood you can learn that love is transactional or that you you take specific roles and I'm just wondering does that tie into the the feeling of it being a project like something I have to work on rather than it flowing to me easily and abundantly absolutely that's what you learned and oftentimes when we are the caretaker or the overfunctioner in our relationships, it's because that's, that's what we learn that love is. It's our job to get to work. We meet someone and then we get to work. And you said, you know, it would take a long time to break down those walls and, you know, figure out how he felt. And then you said, and then we were, you know, happy and in love. But the reality was where, what about all your needs? When we're the over-functioners, when we're the caretakers, when we're the empathy givers, our needs are usually always on the back burner. We're not even aware that we have needs. And we're certainly not choosing partners who are giving to us in the same way we're giving to them. 
Yeah, that's very, very interesting because I think you're right. I think when I was younger, I would definitely just settle for what they gave me without ever knowing that I was allowed to ask or deserve or want more. And I think I'm just finally, as a result of all this work that I'm doing, I'm just realizing that I deserve to be with someone that shows up and meets me in the middle and it's a two-way giving loving caring relationship I don't need to fix them they certainly don't need to fix me because like I've done all my fixing myself Mm -hmm. and now I'm kind of excited that maybe I can enter into a relationship that is not with an emotionally unavailable man not with someone that I need to fix not with someone that I need to look after and you're right I wouldn't have realized any of those things if I hadn't gone to therapy because I genuinely just thought that that was what men were like that's how men were in relationships and that's what you have to do to be in a relationship so it's yeah this is fascinating for me these these unconscious cycles that we shine some light on and then everything else starts to make a bit of sense yeah because in unconscious attraction you know basically what it's saying another piece of it is that we accept as children, we have to accept the limitations of our parents or our caregivers because we're children, we're dependent on adults, right? So we learn how to navigate within these limitations. And even wonderful parents have limitations. Like I have two daughters, you know, I've broken cycles in my family, you know, from the last generation, but I'm, they'll be in therapy at some point talking about me, right? Like I'm human, I'm, I'm fallible, I have limitations. So what we do as children is we learn how to navigate within those limitations and that becomes our template for love. We develop strategies that keep us feeling safe and loved within the limitations of our caregivers. So then we go into adulthood and we don't expect anything beyond those limitations. That's what we know. And even how you just talked about it, you said you want a partner now who you don't have to fix and he's not going to fix you. But also I would add to that, that you want a partner who can actively nurture you, right? Yeah, I didn't even mention that, did I? Yeah, because again, like, and this isn't about blaming parents. I'm sure your parents, I know they're wonderful in a lot of ways, but they're limited. So we, we never get all of our needs met in childhood. And so we have to figure out, A, how to meet those needs on our own, but also when we start to meet those needs on our own, whether it's feeling our, all of our feelings, listening to our own intuition, you know, giving ourselves room to express our truth, then we start to understand that those are also things that we deserve in a romantic partnership. But until wow. then, we don't even know that we need those things. I'm just having a really big realization right now, which is that in my last relationship, it was the total opposite. My last relationship, he wasn't emotionally unavailable. He gave me everything. And in fact, he was the caregiver in that relationship. He would cook for me, clean for me, iron for me, take my stuff back, always there for me, any time of the day or night. So no wonder, right, when when we broke up, it was the most bereft loss because I'd lost this it was like I'd lost a caregiver. The severity of my grieving process from that breakup genuinely was like someone had died. And it's just so interesting. Like I I just had my own light bulb moment on this was that all those men that I was with before him were emotionally unavailable. And then all of a sudden I went, whoo, swing right to the other side where he nurtured me so much, too much. My Mm. mom even would say to me sometimes, it's weird. He tried to feed me once, you know, put something on a fork. And he was obviously just trying to get me to experience the food. But my mom was like there and she was like, I'm the caregiver here. Like what, like what the fuck is going on? And Mm. yeah, so I just, you've just given me my own light bulb moment was that I was on one end of the spectrum. I swung to the other. And now it's about finding that bit that is, in the middle of that spectrum, breaking yeah. both of those cycles. Wow. Yes, yes, yay for light bulb moments. <laughs> yeah, and that's, I mean, and literally this is how we start to break cycles. And I know, you know, we've talked about, we're gonna do workshop and another episode on how do you change these patterns? The first step is being aware. So once you become aware of your unconscious attraction, you're already different. The next time, if this was the first time you were aware 
that you were attracted un- emotionally unavailable men. Once you have that awareness, the next time you meet an emotionally unavailable man, you will do it with awareness. You will say, ah, okay, I, I get it. I see this is happening. That's already different. But then how do we break the pattern that, you know, that takes longer term work and effort and consistency. And we'll talk about that later, but yeah, this, but this is how, like, this is how it happens. These like new light bulb moments, these new moments of awareness. It really is because I had this guy before my last boyfriend, we were dating. He was so emotionally unavailable. And I literally just like was a moth to a flame. I genuinely thought I was going to marry this person. I I genuinely was like, this is my person. I mean, absurd. Now I've broken up with my boyfriend. I'm single again. You know, we speak every now and again. And, but the more and more work I do, I don't even text him back now because I'm like, I'm not going to invest in this. You are not emotionally available. You are not going to meet me in the middle or nurture me. And if I keep doing that, I'm repeating the cycles. And so I feel like, yeah, it's about having that awareness and then actually putting it into practice. And that only comes with the time and the experience and understanding, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You become actually less attracted to that type of person and eventually not attracted at all, repelled. Yes, Literally. I definitely. I haven't got to the repelled stage yet, but I can't wait to get there because my life would be so much easier if I was repelled from emotionally <laughs> unavailable men. Honestly, if I was, if I could have one wish, it would probably be that. You will be. I guarantee it. You will oh, be. Oh goodness! I hope so. Cross all my fingers and my toes. Um, yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, and moving into someone else who has a lot of unconscious cycles and unconscious attractions, but maybe is doing a little bit less work than I am to break <laughs> is good old Chloe Kardashian. Um, now I have to say, I obviously don't know her, but I love her. I have always loved her. She's my favorite sister. I think she is so funny, so caring, so kind. And I think the whole world, you know, globally, like really, really grieved and mourned for her when her boyfriend cheated on her three days before she was about to give birth. And then when she took him back, he did it again with Jordan Woods. And then when she took him back, he did it again with Larsa Pippen. Now I'm sure there are other women out there that we don't know about. The Kardashian machine is a very finely oiled and well-tuned machine that doesn't let much get out of it. So it really wouldn't surprise me if there was more. So I wanna ask you, She's taken him back many, many times. Right now, she is not with him. So do you think that this is a great example of someone that is repeating cycles? Yeah, this is like one of the classic examples. So first of all, we talked about in our last episode, character features of chronic cheaters, which he is displaying. 100% chronic cheater. Yes. She's continuing to stay with this man who continually hurts her, who continually breaks her trust, cheats on her, and clearly isn't interested in changing, right? And knowing that we don't know Chloe, but if we try to break down her unconscious attraction, the first type that says we are attracted to partners who reinforce how we feel about ourselves We can speculate, you mentioned, maybe this was off camera, that Chloe has in the past been the the least attractive sister, right? I definitely think that's been an issue for her is that she was always like the fat one, the tall one, you know, she's beautiful, but she definitely felt like the ugly duckling, the odd one out. There were all these speculations about like her, the paternity, you know, who was her father? You know, was it all one big lie? Was she actually fathered by OJ Simpson? You know, it goes, it goes on and on and on. And there's so much, so much there that we can't even go into, but yeah, I think she definitely has that must've impacted her in her childhood and and her adulthood. We can speculate that perhaps Chloe has some issues to do with self-worth, right? I mean, it seems pretty clear that if you continue to tolerate bad behavior, if you continue to tolerate somebody cheating on you and breaking your heart over and over again, that definitely is related to how you feel about yourself. If we look at the second kind of unconscious attraction, which goes back into our childhood and templates of love and relationships, her mom, Chris, admitted that she cheated on Chloe's father, Chris's first husband, 
And so that template's already been set up and that, you know, led to divorce. And then Chris very quickly married another man right after she divorced Robert. Um, and then Chloe's dad died during that time. Yeah. And I'm not sure about the timelines here, but I also know that Chris Jenner actually bought the man that she had the affair with back into their life at one point. Like there was this one episode where this guy Todd was just coming around to their house and the daughters were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? This is the man that you cheated on our father with and you are gonna meet up with him or hang out with him. And that in itself must have been increasingly complex on top of everything else that they were dealing with. Like not only did her mom do this thing that was so hurtful and really unacceptable, but she's almost acting as if it's not that much of a big deal and that it's okay. It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. We talked in the last episode about characteristics of cheaters, serial cheaters. And one of them is a lack of empathy, a lack of accountability. And in that particular situation, their mom was actually demonstrating two of those behaviors. So again, we don't know the whole psychology of the family or the parent-child relationship, but there have been models for Chloe where she's had to tolerate pretty difficult behavior from the woman she trusts the most, her mom. And then on top of that, she also had to tolerate in her first marriage uh, with Lamar Odom, not only him cheating on her, but also having to tolerate, you know, the entire very stressful situation about whilst they were petitioned for divorce, he overdosed in a brothel and she had to come back. She canceled the divorce so she could be the sole proprietor of what was going on, basically because like this man was about to die and she felt like she had to take control of that situation. And I think if you add that on top of the fact that her father died and her mother had this affair on her father, there's a lot going on there, which is is not modeling to her love, consistency, stability or anything no. like that really, is it? No. And it's interesting that she made that choice to come back right mm-hmm. after he overdosed. Cause a lot of women wouldn't have, and she saw that as her responsibility or something that she wanted to do. It, it would have been perfectly okay for her not to choose that. That's very interesting. Cause it reminds me of when I was dating the angry man that we spoke about at the beginning of this episode, there was this part of him underneath all of his conditioning that was just so loving, so sweet, almost childlike. When I look back now, it was weird. Like some of the things he would do or say, it was so soppy and childlike. And I just felt that he was misunderstood. No one knew the real him. He was adorable underneath this horrible spiky armor. And Mm. I wonder if that in some way kind of parallels this with Lamar is like she had seen the depths and the darkness of him and she felt like she had to you know even though they were getting divorced it was almost like that caregiver role has snapped back into place potentially oh definitely and I think as women we're socialized that way right to be the caretakers to be the ones that give love and and take care of everybody else but in the process we abandon ourselves you know we're not taught that it is not only okay but so important to have healthy, firm boundaries that honor us first. And if we don't learn how to do that, our relationships are not going to be healthy. They're not going to be happy and they're not going to last. Yeah. I really love that. I feel like, again, it's only in the last two years that I've also understood that that boundaries are a form of self-respect and I could just never set them before. And I would be you know, yes, I was so strong and fiery, but in romantic relationships, I just, I didn't. And I was allowed people to treat me badly. And actually it's just recently that I'm able to say, work through that discomfort of setting a boundary and saying, no, actually this doesn't work for me. This makes me feel X, Y, Z. I find that this is one, two, three. So let's move on from here. And that's really interesting that there's been a lot of situations here where she hasn't set a boundary and what we can take from that like you just said is that actually that comes from a place of lack of is it self-respect or is it self-esteem or is it both it's both I mean self-respect comes from healthy self-esteem self-love yeah I mean there 
essentially the same thing, but self-respect can't be there if you don't have self-worth, self-love. So it's very much related to that first kind of unconscious attraction, but it's also related to the second kind because as children, again, we have to live within the bounds of the limitations of our families, of our caregivers, right? And so if we had set boundaries as children, for instance, you know, if Chloe had said like, you know, mom, this is unacceptable and I, I can't tolerate you having an affair in my dad or, you know, then she- Which Courtney, her sister actually did. And there was like a big issue with Courtney trying to set the boundary. And she was very, very angry at her mom, very, very upset. And at the time then everyone was saying it's because she was the eldest child. So she took the the pain of, of this experience the most, I guess, because she maybe had the most recollection of it, you know, the most direct experience to it, or maybe just a stronger memory. I just thought that was really interesting that Chloe didn't set a boundary, but um, I believe that Courtney did. Yeah. And we, we don't set boundaries as kids because we know it, it won't lead to anything good. I mean, in essence, we understand that our parents are severely limited, right? So it's not just a self-esteem and self-worth issue. It's also, we don't believe we can set these boundaries and continue to live, survive, function, be loved. You know, we are carrying this belief into our adult relationships that we have to figure out a way to make this work somehow. And again, like we'd have to deep dive into Chloe's childhood and, and I haven't done that, but she's learned how to tolerate really disappointing behavior, really heartbreaking behavior from people that she loves from her mom, namely, and then her dad died. And even though, you know, he couldn't control that he left her. Mm -hmm. So she's replicating that in this relationship where she loves someone who continues to abandon her emotionally, continues to break her heart, continues to hurt her, but she's used to that. That's her template for love. And she hasn't grown beyond that yet. Wow. And that is also directly applicable to Courtney and Scott, who had this, you know, hugely long, probably around a decade long relationship of ups and downs, huge substance abuse. I don't think he was unfaithful, but Courtney as well just tolerated the worst behavior from Scott, like the worst behavior. It's so interesting to see that actually it's not just Chloe. Courtney also did the same thing. And yes, she might have pushed back on her mum a little bit more with regard to that behavior, but she's also replicating and was accepting these cycles when she was with this man repeatedly for years. And it actually got to the point where she would just say that she was just using him for a baby in the end. His behavior was so bad Mm. that she just was essentially using him so she could have another child. And that's, that's equally crazy that people will overlook this behavior just to be able to have a child with someone. That's crazy to me. Yeah. But some people are very just outcome based. They're very focused on like this relationship has to work or I have to have a baby or it has to be this person, which means they tolerate all kinds of stuff. But also if you look at, and again, like I haven't deep dived into the Kardashians in this sense, but in terms of Chris and Bruce, now Caitlin, you know, their parents do tend to have some, you know, some selfishness. I I don't know how much empathy they actually display for their children, how much attunement they have to their children's needs and feelings. And so they tend to choose partners who replicate that. And they will continue to do that until they do their own work and and understand that there is more for them and they deserve more. That is super interesting because I actually listened to this um, podcast years ago about how, um, and again, this is all speculation, but about how Kris Jenner actually had a lot of narcissistic and sociopathic traits and tendencies, which would tie in with the fact that they maybe didn't feel loved and cared for and their father wasn't there. And then one step further, like on top of that, she is their manager. So in the moments that you're supposed to be experiencing love, unconditional support, having a space held for you physically and emotionally in so many of those moments, it wouldn't have been about emotional love, support and care. It would have been about money, contracts, obligation, 
right gone through a lot and and generally they're all they're all you know we can't really judge but they seem to be pretty happy for what they've gone through they're a very tight-knit family between them and there's there's definitely a nice unit there but I think that their behavior across the board particularly Courtney and Chloe and Kylie who will come to now is that yeah they've accepted behavior that just you don't think that some of the most famous women in the world would accept I guess also the same as Beyonce we're looking at these women who are you know so famous so rich Mm. have everything they could need could have any man in the world yet they just continue to tolerate these people and I think that that consistency across the board there shows that there's something deeper going on here and it's something that's just way way down in, in their wiring that they maybe haven't worked through Yeah. I mean, the external literally doesn't matter, you know, and when we compare ourselves to other people, we are comparing our insides to other people's outsides, but the external it's what people see, but the internal is what creates our patterns, chooses our partners, creates our reality essentially. And you were talking about all the Kardashian sisters and you failed to mention Kim and look who she married another narcissist. Right. Mm. Kanye has a lot of narcissistic features. How did I miss that? I was thinking of her as I skimmed over it, thinking he didn't cheat on her and he didn't, you know, do any of these things. But actually, he abandoned her emotionally so many times. I know that he has a lot of mental health challenges. And obviously, it must be very difficult to be in a relationship with someone who is dealing with those, plus who is also some kind of creative visionary. And, you know, that might just be the narcissistic traits coming out. But you're right. She, she tolerated so much. And I think that actually we saw in all of the episodes that she would just consistently be there for him. She would fly around the world. She would drop everything. She was so loyal to him. Yeah. Is it really that surprising that after many, many years of doing that and the behavioral cycles just continued that actually she was like, I can't do this anymore. The same with Courtney and Scott. She was like, I can't do this anymore. You know, the same with Chloe and Tristan right now, like, I can't do this anymore. None of them are actually right now with those people that they have entertained the cycles with for so long. So that is such a good input there. I didn't even think about that. (laughs) Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I guess that brings us to, we haven't got much to say about Kendall, but it does bring us to the other sister where we will move into the last part of this episode, which is Kylie and Travis. There have been lots of rumours about his infidelity and him being unfaithful, but There's also a lot of speculation, which by the time this episode goes live, they might have confirmed their pregnancy, second child number two. So we've known for a while that that Kylie and Travis are in some capacity back together, whether that is in an open relationship or a closed one. Speculation continues around that. But it was definitely something that we were interested in off camera that she has pushed forward with this relationship. And despite these infidelity rumours, whether or not they are true, they seem to have come full circle and be making something work. So Dr. Terry and I started a very interesting conversation around, can this actually happen? Can you rebuild a relationship after infidelity, after infidelity rumours, after bad behaviour generally, I guess? And I did an Instagram poll recently with you guys and the overwhelming feedback was that a lot of you have been cheated on. Some of you had tried again, but the the, the overwhelming feedback that I received was that from everyone that had tried again was that it did not work. It did not work. It did not work. It did not work. Now, a lot of what was coming into that was age, people saying they were very young, et cetera, et cetera. But I just think this is a really interesting part. So for anyone that is gonna go for the rebuild you know we don't we're not pro the rebuild (laughs) but we do understand that there are moments and situations that it can work so we've got a couple of suggestions haven't we around your sort of guidance on things that would have to happen 
for a relationship to be rebuilt. Yes. In all of my years as a psychologist working with couples and, uh, you know, in a lot of those couples, there was infidelity. I've come to see that there are certain things that need to be in place for a couple to be able to rebuild trust and move past infidelity. And some of them are things that need to be in place. And some of them are just things that need to be considered. So for anyone listening who is debating about whether to stay with somebody who has been unfaithful, listen carefully. And also listen to our last episode. So yes. that we released on Cardi B and Offset, we were also talking about how the, the people that have narcissistic and the sociopath type tendencies, what we learned from that is you cannot and you should not rebuild or attempt to rebuild with one of those people. So I think our caveat for this, if I'm not mistaken, is that these are for the people that have not had those types of personality type traits or disorders. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. With those personality features with somebody who has cheated before, just leave. It is not going to change. Just like with Courtney and Offset, he'll cheat again. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. inevitable. This is for cheating, you know, that has just happened once and you're debating whether to stay in the relationship. So the first thing to consider is how did you find out about the infidelity? The best case scenario is that they came to you because they had a guilty conscience because they were feeling remorse, right? So if that's the case, that's more of a green light. If you found out about it, that's more of a red light. However, if that's the case, when you found out about it and confronted them about it, did they come clean right away? That that's more of a green light. If you found out about it, confronted them and they continued to deny, lie, get angry, gaslight you, huge red flag. I would not stay. Okay. Leave, leave, leave. Yes. The second thing to consider again, we've already mentioned this, but is this the first time they've cheated on you? If it's not, it's a pattern of behavior. It's not going to change. You should leave. If you don't, you're basically, you know, we teach people how to treat us. So if you stay after somebody's cheated again, you're essentially telling them, I don't have that boundary. I, I'm not going to leave no matter if you cheat on me or not. We get what we tolerate, right? Mm-hmm. So three, do they own the cheating and admit that it was a hundred percent wrong and take a hundred percent responsibility? Mm-hmm. This is so important. Or do they make excuses? Do they minimize? Do they try to turn the tables and make it your fault? And you see that, you see that a lot, like, oh, it's because you were doing this or you were working all the time or you didn't want to have sex with me anymore. That's really interesting because sometimes when I heard that, I was like, okay, (laughs) not there's a valid reason, but like, okay, I can see where they're coming from. But now I understand since working with you that that is, you know, minimizing, blaming, not taking responsibility. I mean, those things could have been true, but the answer, like we talked about in our last episode, is not to go sleep with someone else. It's to communicate or leave the relationship. Like yes. a grown adult. Yes. <laughs> a grown a grown person. Um, number four, do they have empathy for the impact this has had on you? And not just the words, a lot of times with the character traits of cheaters, the chronic cheaters, you know, they're so remorseful when they get caught, they cry, they make all these promises and huge gestures like Offset does to Cardi B. But that means nothing. If they really understand the impact this has had on you, they will be able to answer your questions, be transparent about it create space for you to cry, to be angry, to ask those same questions again, there is going to be a period of time in the months following the infidelity that you're going to need time to process and ask questions and emote. And if they are not able to hold that space for you, that's a really bad sign because, you know, once trust is broken in a relationship it takes a very long time and a lot of effort to rebuild. And if they don't get that, it's not going to work. Or if they make you feel like you should get over it, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, I hate that when people are like, can you just get over it already? Or are you still upset about that? And it's like, wow. 
Yeah. Like they don't have empathy. And again, that's showing one of those character traits of chronic cheaters. They don't understand their impact. This is a big one. Number five, are they willing to get individual therapy and or couples therapy with you to understand why this happened and how the relationship can move forward? And again, you have to ask yourself, what is it that you need from them? Yes, right. and I would not think that this is an unrealistic request. Like for me, it's like having had extensive experience of therapy, it's the solution. You, you couldn't do it without going to therapy, both individually and or couples therapy. So that is a great point. Yeah. And here's the point I want to make here. People can agree to it in the moment or, you know, in the week or two, and they might even go once or twice, but if they start making excuses, dragging their feet, or they want to quit that's not going to work because behavior is going to be repeated until something internal changes until awareness changes until they, they understand why they did it and what are new ways they could respond when they feel that same way. Again, the second point I want to make is if somebody cheated on you and you're debating whether to stay and they say, okay, I'll get a therapist. You should not be finding that therapist for them. Preach it, okay. sister. I found quite a lot of men, they're therapists. So I should probably learn from that. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. So you should not be in that mom role. Somebody who is really committed to earning back your trust and working on themselves and the relationship will be motivated to find their own damn therapist. Ooh, like it. Interesting. Yeah. If, if not, you're putting in more effort than they are. And yeah. that's not going to work. Yeah. Six, are they willing to be self-reflective to understand why they made this choice? What were the triggers that led up to it and how they could do it differently? Again, like they can go to therapy and just be defensive. (laughs) That's not going to work. Are they really willing to look at themselves? And also you're a part of this relationship. Are you willing to look at yourself? Were there, is there work that you need to do in terms of communicating better, setting better boundaries, addressing issues as they come up? Is this been a pattern for you and what needs to change in you to create a healthier relationship? Yeah, love it. Awareness from both sides, not just constant blame on the partner. I think you hear a lot about the reason that it doesn't ever get better is because the person that's been hurt is just so hurt and they're just always like one of the people that replied on Instagram to this poll said every argument that we ever had from that moment onwards always came back to this and that's such a good point is that you both need to take responsibility for moving through this because otherwise you will come back to it time and time again yes which brings us to the next (laughs) criteria so good segue is as the partner who's been cheated on or betrayed are you really willing to work on trusting again and moving forward and letting go of what happened. Because if you're not, or, you know, at a certain point, you're going to have to be honest with yourself. If you don't think you could ever really let go, surrender, fully trust your partner again, and feel at peace in the relationship, then you should walk away because, you know, there is that period of rebuilding trust and we don't know how long it takes. It could take a year or longer. But if you're going to hold on to that resentment, the relationship can't grow. So you really have to be honest with yourself about that. So three more is the partner who cheated willing to be overly transparent temporarily to provide you reassurance as you rebuild trust. And again, as a couple, you can decide what this looks like. But, you know, are they willing to let you know who they're talking to, who they're meeting for lunch? You know, are they following through on what they say they're going to do? If they say they're going to be home at a certain time, are they home at a certain time? And if not, are they willing to communicate about that in a really transparent way? This, again, this could become very unhealthy, constantly checking their texts and their phone and their email. And after a certain point, that's not healthy and you're part of the problem. Right. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Two more. Do they understand that it will take time to rebuild this trust? And are they willing to put in the time and effort to do that? And the last one is you never catch them in another lie or half truth. Oh, so not even like the same situation, just like any lie, any half truth. No, not in this rebuilding period. Mm -hmm. 
they have to be, it goes back to the transparency issue. They have to understand that if you are working to rebuild trust, there can't be any inconsistencies, any omitted information. And the other person has to be willing to work on trusting, but you can't rebuild trust if there are small breaches in, in trust along the way. Yeah. Oh, I feel like I've just had another another light bulb moment here so in the last episode we spoke about how when I was younger my own experiences with cheating on my first boyfriend and what I've just realized after listening to you say some of those things is that we actually went on a break at one point can't remember why but this memory just flashed back to me which is that I went into his phone when we were on holiday because my gut told me that something wasn't right and then I found in his phone that he had been with someone else on this break and he hadn't told me Mm. and that's just came to me as really really interesting as I wonder if from that moment on it was just like you know we were way too young to do any of these things like we didn't have this list I didn't have this podcast I just didn't have any communication and I actually wonder that in that moment if that was it for me it was like well you've done this to me so like I'm now allowed to do that to you and I think you hear quite a lot around people that one person cheats and then the other person feels they're entitled not not entitled to do it too but I know people where it happens on both sides because it's like oh he did it first then she did it then they were kind of on even keel and then but that's just so much mess even more mess than just one person doing it right yeah that's a lot of mess to clean up (laughs) probably not gonna work we are pro no mess or as little mess as possible because actually every relationship can get messy when we're healing together and when we're like you said on the Jason and Chrishell episode that we did that when you take a relationship from a friendship into a relationship it opens up everything all of your neuroses all of your fears all of your wounds and so relationships to some extent are always going to be messy aren't they yes they're going to be messy but they need to be within a safe container right so cheating takes away that safe container, certain bad behavior, take away that safe container, that emotional safety. So yes, relationships will be messy, but if they're not emotionally safe and in a safe container, they're not going to work. Yeah. I love that. And I think, you know, just to wrap up here that with the relationship that I spoke about at the beginning of this episode, where he was very angry and a bad drinker and, and, and really actually just abusive, it got to a point where the container was so unsafe that I just couldn't be in it anymore. Like I couldn't deal with the ups and downs, the hot and cold wore off, you know, the, the passion and the love that wasn't passion and love anymore. There was no justification for how unsafe the container was. And I remember that the final straw for me was that I just woke up to this voice note one morning and he'd been watching the rugby somewhere in in Wales, a big final. And it was the most abusive slew of drunken, you know, mm. he, he could hardly even speak. And I locked my front door in that moment. I, I knew this, he was going to come back to London. He was going to come to my house because I was not replying to him. And he came and the latch was on the door and he was banging on the door and he was drunk still. I could smell the alcohol on him. And I just realized in that moment, this is the least safe container I could ever be in. And you're right. Sometimes it just gets to the point where you have to, You have to break your own cycles, don't you? Because you just finally see the reality of that container once and for all. Yes. And if you don't reflect and do the healing work, you'll create another relationship that doesn't have a safe container. Again, you'll just keep creating that same relationship with a different person. Oh, I love that. So it's not even about just breaking the cycle in the one relationship. It's about ensuring that doesn't happen again and that you then repeat it in your next relationship. Yeah. And it's not about choosing a different kind of partner. You know, we get out of a relationship with someone who cheated on us and was toxic. And then we're like, okay, now I just need to meet a good guy. Okay. (laughs) The attraction says you're going to choose the same type of guy unless something internal changes. But also if you flip that, so I've been talking to someone recently and they had had a very bad relationship experience. Their last two partners had cheated on them. And this person said to me, the first thing when I asked them what their current partner was like, they said that they were loyal. Mm. Now, I'm interested in your thoughts there in terms of when you've been hurt by these unsafe containers and these cycles, is there a tendency that you can actually, like we spoke about the scale earlier, is there a tendency that you can then swing 
you, you always hear about the woman that then settles down with the really nice man and they don't really have much sex and it's not that exciting, but she feels very safe and very loved. Mm. Is that something that you see in practice that people sometimes go the total opposite way? Yes. And sometimes that's part of the process, right? What it comes down to in both scenarios, it's about both people having healthy boundaries. So with somebody who cheats, they don't have healthy boundaries. They don't respect the boundaries of the relationship. It could be that if we repeatedly choose people who treat us badly or cheat, that we haven't learned healthy boundaries. We don't set healthy boundaries. We may not even know what healthy boundaries are. Then if we swing the other way, And we, like you were saying with your ex-boyfriend, you swung the completely other way. You found someone who was just selfless and nurturing and took care of you, but it doesn't sound like he had healthy boundaries. He also wasn't tending to himself and that's not going to work. So both people have to know how to take good care of themselves, how to feed themselves, feel good about themselves so they can show up for their partner but they don't rely or depend on the other person to feed them. And they also don't tolerate when their partner dishonors them or the relationship and, and is not an emotionally safe person, isn't loyal, isn't kind, you know, does these out of bounds behaviors. Yeah. That is so interesting because when this person said that their partner was very loyal, you know, I think I actually said to them, what about the other stuff? You know, like, have you been hurt so many times that now loyalty is the top of your list, but are you sacrificing other things just so you feel safe in that loyalty? So that cycle never repeats. It would be really, yeah, that's really, really, really interesting. It always comes back to really knowing who you are, really understanding what it feels like to be in complete alignment with your healthy, true self. You'll know if it feels right. You'll know if you're choosing someone out of fear out of settling, out of woundedness, you'll know because it'll feel right. It'll flow, but you won't know that you won't have that connection to yourself and your wisdom unless you do your own work, which is why we're doing these podcasts, which is why we do the work we do. Right. It is. And you just gave me some goosebumps there, which we always call truth bumps. So I think that's the perfect note to end it on. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Again, every week, I'm so grateful for you constantly. And thank you for all you do for this podcast. Wow, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I loved it. Before we go, I just wanted to let you know that Dr. Tari and I have decided that for some people who aren't quite ready to jump into one-on-one therapy or couples therapy just yet, then a relationship reading is the perfect place to start. Working with Dr. Tari in this one-on-one session, she will help you to identify your unconscious attraction, your relationship blind spots, exactly what your personal work looks like, whether you're single or in a relationship, and which outdated coping and protective strategies you are still using that push love away instead of allowing it to grow. If this sounds like something you're interested in, DM Dr. Tari or head to her website at Dr. Terry Mack, that is D-R-T-A-R-I-M-A-C-K.com. And just mention me, Louise Rumble, or Open House to get your discount on a session that might just change your life. Stay tuned for a whole array of different workshops, courses, and live sessions under Open House, as we have so much that we want to bring to you in case you cannot get inside a therapy room. Until then, lots of love.